Hi, it's Sunday, January 19th, 2020, here at St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie. I'm Richard Lanford, the redheaded preacher, and today our sermon is called The Privilege of Call, and our scriptures, which we had a snafu and uh, we did not get them recorded, so I will tell you what they are, and if you are not driving... Uh, and you do have the opportunity to look them up and read them, here is what they are. Isaiah 49, verses 1 through 7. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 1 through 9. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 29 through 42. And um, if you don't look them up, the especially appropriate parts that fit the sermon are referenced and quoted in the sermon that follows. And so, for the privilege of call, here we go, and thank you for tuning in. A little over 10 years ago, maybe a little longer than that, uh, St. Peter's joined the Skokie Chamber of Commerce for the first time. Mandy Stegmuller, who was at the time vice president, and I went to our first meeting, which was, happened to be, its annual getting to know you gathering over at the Skokie Library. Now, we didn't know this. We found out at the time, once we were seated, that each organization present was going to get ready to give an elevator speech for the rest of us. Elevator speech. What is that? Well, we were told it's about a 30-second description, you know, the length of riding in an elevator, about a 30-second description of who you are, what you do, and why your business is a good one to deal with. Well, you know, we're not a business, and everybody else there was. So we were a bit out of sorts on that one. But in the time we had, we put together a list of the things we offer people, like Sunday school, worship, opportunities for service, and so on. We could tell it was a bit on the inadequate side, and as it turns out, we did not make another meeting. Well, for a church, and for some businesses, especially nonprofits, an elevator speech is not what it would be for, say, Edward Jones Investments. Our elevator speech would have to include why we do what we do here the motive behind the services we provide, or or better, the ministries we offer, are very much part of what we do, how we do it, and who we are. A business, by legal definition, has a motivation of profit. Churches and Christians are motivated primarily by Jesus. I think we are motivated by an active and interactive Jesus, In the Gospel reading, we heard John the Baptist point out Jesus to two of his followers, so they followed him. He asks them, what are they looking for? They reply, asking him, where is he staying? And then he says, come and see. And they did. One of them was Andrew. The next day, Andrew told his brother Simon Peter about him and brought him to meet Jesus. 
But it, and so things started to begin. But it all started with the two disciples responding to John the Baptist's pointer and then to Jesus' call, come and see. And from these interactions, Jesus was able to inspire Andrew to urge Simon Peter to come and meet him as well. And the world has never been the same ever since. Those dudes heeded the call to follow. The call to follow. Ever since Jesus calling you? Absolutely, the Apostle Paul did. It was so easy, it is so easy to kind of gloss over the opening phrases of a New Testament letter, but here, and in other places, but here, it's really important. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, dot, dot, dot. There it is, the word call. Called to be an apostle by the will of God. So Paul, right off, is saying he's called by God's will to be an apostle of Jesus. Now what's an apostle? The word apostle comes from the Greek word apostello, which means I send. To be an apostle, then, is to be one who is sent. Paul has been called by God to be sent to bring the good news of Jesus, to bring the good news of Jesus the Christ. He started churches. He visited and encouraged and wrote to congregations to teach them, to correct them, to support them, uh, and to comfort fellow followers. He preached the good news to the non-Jews especially and came to see that as his special calling and a gift from God to have that calling. God called him and Saul slash Paul answered reluctantly at first, Yes. Now, things were not always easy for Paul, as we know. Not only was it hard for this former persecutor of the church to be accepted by the early church and to be welcomed and affirmed and trusted, but being an evangelist means traveling. You meet opposition to your message, and you meet crises in your travels. Combine those two, and we see the second half of Paul's life. In 2 Corinthians 6, for example, Paul spoke uh, of he and his companions enduring, quote, afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. We are treated as impostors and yet are true. In chapter 11, he returns to the subject. Five times I've received from the Jews 40 lashes. Minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, cold and naked. Why did Paul keep going? Why not quit, considering all he was going through? Because he was called. When God calls you, you do not quit, 
unless you are forcibly stopped or until your call changes. I learned that in my own very small way when I was a religious volunteer for 19 years going down to Cook County Jail, 1st Division 5 and later Division 10. One summer, and I think it was before I came to St. Peter's, one summer the other volunteers and I met in the chapel for five Wednesdays straight, and no chapel happened. Security never called the prisoners out to come to chapel and never let any of us know. No, nobody bothered to tell us anything. So we sat and we waited until we figured out no one was coming. We still kept coming because you call. You believe you are fulfilling a purpose of God even if the evidence isn't always immediately there. You may be being tested, who knows? But you keep showing up if you are able. And in that case, on the sixth week there was chapel. William Carey, who I think I've mentioned in the past month, he was the famed British missionary to India. He went there with his wife Dorothy. And there they lost three small children. Dorothy gradually lost her sanity as they toiled in subsistence-level conditions. They were there seven years before they saw his first convert. And then there was persecution for anyone who became Christian because in India it meant breaking caste. Obstacle after obstacle piled on from malaria to a printing house fire destroying years of his translation work to antagonism from the British East India Company. Yet today, at the Serampore train station, there are two statues, one of Gandhi and one of William Carey, whose ultimate impact was phenomenal. When God calls you, whatever that may be, wherever it may be, and you follow, doing whatever it may be with your gifts and your circumstances and opportunities, there may well be times when going through seasons of disappointment, doubt, and perhaps questioning God. You remember the old definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. God's call to us can make us temper or even counter that definition as we faithfully, pers patiently persist in the call, just like Paul did, like William and Dorothy Carey did, like other persons you know did, and you yourselves have done, and they probably, some of those you know may, have in, may include some teachers, including Sunday school teachers, including youth group teachers and leaders, and other members of your family. God's call to you may change, at which time you or we pray for the spirit of discernment. Come and see. Come and see. Martin Luther King Jr. was called to be the pastor of Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama in 1954. A little more than a year later, he found himself called to also be, nominated to be, the chair of the Faith-Based Montgomery Improvement Association, or MIA, which spearheaded the Montgomery bus boycott of 1955 to early 1957, 
legally ending segregation on the public buses in that large city. He came and saw. He came and saw the prophetic, the need for prophetic leaders to lend their voices, their activity, and the direction of their faith, not only to Sunday mornings within the churches, but also to and within the American communities laden with segregation and violent racial injustice. These are some of the words of Reverend King. Uh, what did, did he spoke to the crowd after the first meeting of the Montgomery Improvement Association on a December night, December 1955. So he's gathered outside. He's speaking to these people who've gathered outside. And he says, and you know, my friends, there comes a time when people get tired of being trampled over by the iron feet of oppression. There comes a time, my friends, when people get tired of being plunged across the abyss of humiliation where they experience the bleakness of nagging despair. There comes a time when people get tired of being pushed out of the glittering sunlight of life's July and left standing amid the piercing chill of an alpine November. There comes a time. We are here. We are here this evening because we're tired now. And I want to say that we are not here advocating violence. We have never done that. I want it to be known throughout Montgomery and throughout this nation that we are Christian people. We believe in the Christian religion. We believe in the teachings of Jesus. The only weapon that we have in our hands this evening is the weapon of protest. That's all. We, the disinherited of this land, we who have been oppressed so long are tired of going through the long night of captivity. And now we are reaching out for the daybreak of freedom and justice and equality. May I say to you, my friends, as I come to a close and just giving some idea of why we are assembled here, that we must keep, and I, str oh, I want to stress this in all of our doings, in all of our deliberations here this evening and all of the week and while, whatever we do, we must keep God in the forefront. Let us be Christian in all of our actions. But I want to tell you this evening that it is not enough for us to talk about love. Love is one of the pivotal points of the Christian face and faith. There is another side called justice. And justice is really love in calculation. Justice is love correcting that which revolts against love. I believe Martin Luther King Jr. was called because, like Paul, he did not quit when he was attacked. The Montgomery homes of both King and Ralph Abernathy were firebombed, as were four black Baptist churches. After the attack at King's house, which also, of course, affected his family and neighbors, he gave a speech to 300 angry African-Americans who had gathered outside. And to them, he said, if you have weapons, take them home. If you do not have them, please do not seek to get them. We cannot solve this problem through retaliatory violence. We must meet violence with nonviolence. Remember the words of Jesus. He who lives by the sword will perish by the sword. We must love our white brothers no matter what they do to us. 
we must make them know that we love them. Jesus still cries out in words that echo across the centuries, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, pray for them that despitefully use you. This is what we must live by. We must meet hate with love. Remember, if I am stopped, this movement will not stop, because God is with the movement. Go home with this glowing faith and that radiant assurance. And that was not the only time Martin and Coretta King paid for following God's call. Now, I do not expect me or you to follow such footsteps, but let us remember that the call from God is a privilege. And I heard, as Karen finished reading the, re- the, the lesson from Corinthians, that Paul says at the end, he refers to the Corinthian Christians as called by God. So, if we can project, that includes us. And the call from God is a privilege. When pastors relocate from one area to another or temporarily change denominations, to serve a church or agency in another. It's called privilege of call. It's a churchy term. It's a clergy kind of term. Privilege of call. And although I'm ordained, a Christian does not have to be, does not have to be truly receive the privilege of God's call. If the Lord calls you to be a good father, a good physician, a good teacher, a good refuse worker, a good artist or musician or storyteller or whatever gifts you have, it is a privilege to be called, always. And we are given hard-fought inspiration to help us keep on keeping on when discipleship is hard. Paul, Martin, and William Carey, among others, Give us the inspiration to believe it is all part of a larger upward manifestation of love. God is at work. The manifestation of love. Love in our hearts and homes. Love in our pews and churches. Love in our communities and for those most vulnerable here and elsewhere. It is a privilege for you and me to sense our call and to live out God's call in our lives. It may be a humble call, but very important all the same. It may be doing something no one else seems to notice, but God notices. It may involve doing or saying some things that seem to have no effect. That's human sight. Leave the value of our labors to the God who calls us to them and equips us for them. For we answer the call, and at some point we find we are fulfilled. We answer the call because we are not here for ourselves. We are here for Christ, for love. As Christ is here in love for us. Amen. This concludes the podcast of the Privilege of Call sermon. And as the redheaded preacher at St. Peter's United Church of Christ, it is a privilege to have been called to bring these messages and to have 
you tune in and listen to them. I'm very appreciative of that. Next Sunday, our podcast will be for January 26th, which is also the Sunday of our congregation's annual congregational meeting after worship. No promises, but it's possible that the message will say something about uh, our annual congregational meeting. So once again, uh, I sincerely appreciate your listening in. And until next time, may God bless you and yours. Amen.